The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Hey, good morning, Crosspoint. How's everyone doing? Good. Good to see you guys. Hey, uh, my name's Justin. I'm, I get the privilege of being the youth pastor here. I'm just going to put it out right now. If I look sunburned, I am. Uh, we had beach day on Friday with our students, uh, and it was an awesome time, but I spent about five hours in the water nonstop. It was amazing, and as Crystal mentioned, we've had so many fun, uh, awesome things going on this summer, like our summer party last weekend, which was great, and so we're, we're so excited about what God's doing here at Crosspoint, what he's doing on with all these events that we've been hosting, and I'm excited to see what God has for us here this morning, and so before we jump in, I'd like to pray with you guys, just kind of give our time to him and see what it is that he wants to do. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for every person in this room this morning. Thank you for bringing them here, Lord. With everything that's going on in life, we, we have a hundred different things that we could do, but we're here. And so whatever we have, whatever we've carried in here, Lord, let us just lay it at your feet. Help us to see how much you care deeply for us, Lord, as individuals. Lord, encourage us. Uh, do whatever it is that you need to do this morning. We give you this time, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. So if you guys were here li- with us last weekend, you got to hear Pastor Mark Porter from Regeneration Church down in OB uh, bring a really cool message about the prophet Elijah and some things going on there. And that was 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to jump back a chapter today to chapter 4. Uh, another story with this prophet named Elisha. Uh, and before we jump in, I, I always like to kind of set the stage for you guys of what's happening here in the story before we just jump into this random story and, and passage that we have. So Second uh, Kings kind of starts off, um, Elisha has now taken over for the prophet Elijah. So you got there's two different Elijahs there. So Elijah is taken up to heaven. Uh, his protege, Elijah, has now become his successor. Uh, he, starts to st- he starts to perform some miracles, starts to earn a reputation uh, as this man of God and this prophet. Uh, and then 2 Kings chapter 3 comes along, and we see this great war breaks out between the nation of Israel and the nation of Moab. Uh, and chapter 3 is pretty intense and pretty heavy. By the end of it, you're like, whoa, uh, that's a lot. And then the story just kind of breaks right there in the middle of this war that's happening. And we get these seven verses that just seems so random. Like, why did that get thrown in there? You have to wonder, what, what purpose does this story have here for us? Uh, and I love this idea, and it happens over and over again in Scripture, is that oftentimes God will stop in the middle of a lot of big things going on to kind of remind us where his heart is kind of remind us of some other things that are incredibly important to him. And I believe that that's what this story does, is it reminds us of how much God cares about some of the other things that we tend to miss sometimes uh, and bringing us back to that. And so this is just as important as everything else that's happening right here in the middle of the nation of Israel and the wars and everything going on. This is just as important. And so we, we, we have this story. We have this widow who is, uh, is pretty heavy, right? She's grieving over the loss of her husband. And not just that, now she's frightened because her husband had carried a, a lot of debt. We're not sure how much, but enough debt to where these creditors are coming and they're threatening to take her two sons as slaves to pay back that debt. And so she's grieving, she's frightened, 
This is a hopeless position that she's found herself in. Uh, and before we continue with that, we got to pause and be careful here. So this is, this is not a kind of out there situation. This was probably a pretty common thing that would happen back then. This, is, this idea of slavery is a bit different than what you and I tend to think of when we hear that word slavery. This is more the idea of it's called debt bondage. There are some other phrases for that, but it's, it's paying back a debt that's owed. And so oftentimes people would often sell themselves into slavery or they would work off that debt and be released within, it's sometimes six or seven years, uh, something like that. But this is the idea, this is a very normal thing that's happening here. This is not necessarily some wrongdoing or some injustice that they're about to have to fight back against. This is just kind of normal circumstances. Um, But regardless, it doesn't take away from the fact that it is just a really, really sad situation that this woman has found herself in. She's hopeless. She doesn't know what to do. She just lays this problem out in front of Elijah. And you kind of have to wonder what's going through her head, kind of what her tone is as she describes this problem that she's facing. She sounds uh, agitated. She sounds like she's freaking out a little bit. Um, My husband who served the Lord faithfully is dead, right? She's kind of saying, he was faithful, so why have we found ourselves here? What's going on? What do I do? Look at where we're at. So we get this vibe that the widow is hopeless. She does not know what to do. And then after Elijah asks her what she has in her house, she says, nothing at all except for a flask of oil. And this is not the the widow saying like, okay, I've got this flask of oil. Maybe that's enough to clear the debts. No, it's, it's quite the opposite. In fact, she's almost sarcastic here as she says that. It would be like you and I today saying, I have nothing except the clothes on my back. That's all that I have. It's her really, really saying, I have nothing. Nothing to fix this problem. That's how hopeless she is. Can you relate this morning at all with the widow? Loss, financial hardships. I mean, you think about the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I I believe that we can understand what the widow is going through in some sense. What do I do? Can anything even be done? Where's God in all this? What's he doing, right? And so if you've found yourself there today, let's... Let's sit with the widow here and recognize we've been here. We get what this feels like probably. And so here's what I want to do with you guys this morning. Um, I want to take a look at this awesome story of, provi- of God's provision and this miracle, but I don't necessarily want to focus on the miracle itself this morning. I actually want to watch us to watch together as this miracle unfolds and watch how God uses all kinds of people to actually be a part of what he's doing. To not just sit back and watch, but to actually be involved with the work that God is doing. And that would encourage us this morning the same. And so we, we, we see this first character in the story. I want to break down a few characters that we find here. We have the prophet Elijah, we have the neighbors, and then we finally have the widow. All of these people are a part of what God's about to do in the story. So I want to first look at Elijah here, the prophet, and see what his role is in the story. And so the widow comes to him. Notice how uh, he has to be the one that makes the first ask. She doesn't even really ask anything. She just kind of drops this, this load on him. And he, you can imagine he's probably like, whoa, that's a lot. That's heavy, right? She's hopeless. She's freaking out. And he has this opportunity in this moment, uh, a multitude of responses that could be given here. But look at what he says. 
Or let's see what she, let's, let's see again what she says. My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But a creditor has now come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. And what is Elijah's response to this load that gets dropped in front of him? He says, what can I do to help? And man, is there a more wonderful response than that? When you're in the middle of a hopeless situation, when your circumstances are just overwhelming you and you don't know what to do and somebody comes alongside of you and just asks that simple question. Have you ever had that happen where someone that you, that you love, that you trust, that just says, hey, they stop and they say, what can I do to help? Like how awesome and comforting that must have been. And this is the response that Elijah gives her. And to some of us, that might seem like a very normal response. We do that a lot. But recognize that this story could have played out a lot differently. Remember, this is not some wrongdoing that's happening here. It's a very normal situation. Elijah's response to the widow could have easily been, hey, I'm really sorry for your loss. It looks like your sons are going to have to pay off that debt. It'll be okay. Right? That could have easily been what happened here. Surely this prophet, in the middle of a war between these nations, might have had a lot more important matters to be taken care of than to stop for this nameless widow who's probably not the only one in a situation like this. But his response is different. He stops and he slows down for this woman and offers his assistance. And just as there is so much going on behind the scenes in this story, with all the more important things going on, church, my question for us is, are we able to slow down enough with the busyness and the chaos of our lives and our schedules and what's important to us to slow down enough to maybe do the same thing and provide assistance for those people that are around us that are hurting? Are we able to do that and tune out the distractions and everything going on? See, because God's heart for his people that are hurting and broken, this is written all over the scriptures if you haven't seen that. If you haven't read your Bible, you see this over and over and over again. That's why this story is thrown in here. Because he loves to stop and care for his hurting and broken people. And if we're not careful, we can miss that. And I feel like we've missed that sometimes. Maybe you've known that you've missed that. And I love a story that we get uh, from the life of Jesus. It comes from Luke chapter 8. You can flip there if you'd like, or it's, it, it should be up on the screen. Luke chapter 8. I love how Jesus does this. In this part of uh, Jesus' ministry, he's actually on his way to try and go find some alone time. Uh, and the crowds actually follow him. They find out where he's going to be. Uh, and so what was intended to be this alone time for Jesus, right? Something very important to him. Uh, he starts healing some of these people because it says that he had compassion on them. Uh, and in the middle of this, Luke chapter 8, verse 43, it says that uh, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years, or sorry, I totally, I totally said the wrong story for you guys. That's Matthew, that's later. Just, just put that to the side. So Luke chapter 8, this is actually, <laughs> this is actually where Jesus is on his way to help this dad whose his 12-year-old daughter is dying. Yeah, sorry, wrong story. That's coming later, okay? Um, he's on his way to help this father whose daughter is dying. And these crowds are there. And then in verse 43, Luke chapter 8, verse 43, it says that a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. And she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. 
When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We, we walked through this passage a few years ago in one of our small groups, actually, and it was Beth here that said something that I will never forget, and I love what she kind of drew from this story. We were talking about suffering, talking about the trials that we often experience, and the whole idea was that if the Son of God, who had a lot more important things to be taken care of, on his way to go help this girl that was about to die, and who he himself would go to suffer much for the sake of the whole world, was able to slow down and stop for this woman in the middle of the crowd, for her, then we ought to keep that in mind to be doing the same for those people around us. That yeah, there's a lot more important things that we have going on in life, but if Jesus is stopping for these people, we need to as well. I love that Jesus models that so well for us, and this is exactly what Elijah does. He stops for this woman. We need to keep that in mind because we're surrounded by people that are hurting as well, church. And we can miss it if we're not careful. And so Elijah stops for this woman. He tells her what to do. And notice how uh, the passage doesn't really tell us explicitly how he came up with this solution, right? The solution of saying, go get these jars, do this, right? It doesn't tell us how he came to that conclusion, but I guess we could assume that he probably thought about it a little bit or that God had revealed this to him somehow, right? Somehow he, he came up with this revelation. Uh, and the question then is for us is, what does that look like for us? How do we do this? How do we help support people that are hurting? What does our job look like there? So this will be the first point on your note sheet. You can write this down today. It's that we be present and prayerful. Be present and prayerful for the people around you. And so I want to talk about what that looks like. How do we be present? How do we be prayerful for the people around us that might be hurting? So how do we be present? Well, being present simply means that you listen and that you're watchful. Okay, you listen and you're watchful with everything that's going on around you, right? So husbands, dads, um, men, if you don't have a lady in your life, you need to listen up, right? Uh, but have you ever found yourself on the opposite end of a conversation with your spouse going, Huh? And then your wife or girlfriend asks that dreadful question, were you even listening? And you're like, shoot, nope, I wasn't listening, right? And you, you find yourself so distracted because your mind was elsewhere and you're not listening, right? Sometimes you miss some important things that are trying to be conveyed to you that you miss because you were distracted, right? And so what that means for us is, is that we need to listen. So what that means is that sometimes we do need to tune out the distractions. Sometimes that might be the game. That might be the newsreel. Or instead of saying, I don't have time for this, like I feel like we do sometimes, being able to slow down enough and listen to our family, our friends, those around us that are actually hurting and actually need us to support them. We need to be careful with that. Ladies, flip side of that for you. Um, as surely as your man needs to just stop and listen and empathize with you sometimes and not try and fix the solution, sometimes you need to just let him do that because he was actually crafted and designed by God to have the ability and the drive to do that. He's got a toolbox with him everywhere he goes. How can I help? What can I do, right? And that's exactly what Elijah does here. So sometimes you need to let him do that, because God gave him that ability. 
Sometimes it is just listening, but sometimes it is stepping into that situation and saying, what can I do to help? How can I fix this? We need to be listening to those around us, intentionally listening. Not just on autopilot like we do sometimes, but listening to the people around us. And then the second part of that, of being present, is it's, it's about being watchful. So it's not just listening when somebody's talking to us, but it's actually noticing when that person probably needs somebody to talk to. They're not talking to me, but I see that they probably need somebody to talk to right now. Um, we had a situation come up recently with our youth group a few weeks back where we did this. So every uh, Tuesday night, we gather with our leaders and we pray before we start the night. Um, sometimes we do some training and just try and focus on some things. And the focus that night was kind of this idea was, hey, let's be watchful for our students tonight. Let's keep our eyes open to see if something's going on and see how God wants to use us to help them, to come alongside of them. And so we prayed for that. Our leaders, we prayed for an opportunity that night. We said, we said God, help us to keep our eyes open. Help us not to get distracted with everything else going on, but if there's somebody that needs something tonight, help us to come alongside of them. So we prayed for that, and then that night we had two situations come up where we got the chance to do that. And so towards the end of the night, um, one of our students that uh, is usually pretty outgoing and usually has a lot of people around him, he looked a little bit more grumpy than usual. And he's walking around at the back end with his hands in his pockets, kind of head down, like, yeah, that doesn't look right. We should probably, we need to go see what's going on, right? It's this watch, it's these watchful eyes to say, that doesn't look right. I should probably go step in, right? And then you have, an op you have a decision to make at that point. There's more important things going on. I could probably not worry about that and just go do those things, or I can stop and go see what's going on. And so I, I did, and then we had this awesome moment. Me and this student, right, got to help him. And then after that's done, like five, ten minutes later, I walk into the lobby, and I see two of my leaders with another student doing the same exact thing. And I was like, praise God that we had watchful eyes to see what was going on around us and enough awareness to slow down and say, this is more important right now. And we have to be careful with that, church. The culture that you and I find ourselves in, we're so busy there's so many things happening where we just miss these little opportunities that God often puts in front of us and says, do something about that. That's for you. And so we'd be present and prayerful for the people around us just like Elijah was here. Um, and that kind of highlights, that story that I share, shared about our youth group kind of highlights the next point is that we'd be prayerful. See, because we took the time to pray about that before that happened that night. Very intentionally stepping back and saying, God, what do you want to do tonight? Is there an opportunity that you want to use? And then he provided, and he gave us that opportunity to do that. And so it's, it's being present, and it's also being prayerful. See, because you and I probably aren't going to get some audible revelation from God sometimes about what the solution is. So we have to do our part, and we have to step back, tune out the distractions, and say, God, what do you want to do? How do you want to use me? Right? Uh, and so we say that, but then sometimes it's like, okay, so how do I know? So I prayed about it, but then how do I know what to do? I still didn't hear anything from God. Um, he might not just put that thing right in front of you, but there's other ways that he kind of uses that and kind of speaks to us. And so we sang that song a little bit ago called Hosanna, right? And I love that line towards the bridge. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Did you catch that line? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Sometimes that's what God's going to do for you. 
Sometimes he's going to lay this impression on your heart that just like you feel so strongly about that situation or that person. You can't stop thinking about it. We talk about this all the time. These recurring thoughts like I just can't get that out of my head. Maybe that's God trying to tell you something. Maybe that's God trying to move you and use you to step into a situation. I mean, you think about every organization or mission or ministry around the world. Isn't that how it starts? Is that God put something so strongly on somebody's heart that said, I want to do something about that. Right? But it's being prayerful and, and listening for that. God, how do you want to use me? What do you want to do? And then we be, be, be mindful about this, practice this, being present and prayerful for the people around us. And I love that, that, that Elijah sets such a good example of that for us. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? And then he offers a fascinating solution to the woman here. Back to 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to reread it for you. It's verse 3. He says, it says, And Elijah said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So he offers this, this solution and, and we see Elijah play his part very well here in what God wants to do. And now I want to look at the next group of people here with you. It's, and that's the neighbors. And it comes here from verse 3. I want to look at the neighbors. So I want you to step inside the story with me here for a second, okay? You get a knock at your door. And you're like, oh, I probably know who that is. You know this widow. You've seen her. You know that she's probably desperate. Heck, you might think that she's probably coming over to ask for money. Because you know that she's struggling. You know that she's indebted to these creditors. And so she comes knocking at your door, and you open it, and you're expecting a response, and she says, hey, can I borrow an empty jar? And you're like, uh, sure, I guess. And you go find some empty jar that you got laying around, and you give it to her, and she says, thanks, bye, right? And there's no explanation. You don't get anything. It's kind of like, that was weird. That was interesting. Um, and the story kind of indicates to us that they don't really ever find out probably. I'm sure some of them probably did, but it wasn't this big public affair to where all the neighbors got to see what happened with their empty jars that they gave to this widow. But they were willing enough to give their empty jars. But again, like, who's probably thinking about it? It's just an empty jar. It's probably not that important. So that kind of leads us to the next point there on your note sheet. You can write this down. It's that God blesses what we find insignificant. God blesses what we find insignificant. Maybe you're here today and you're a neighbor. Or maybe that's the role that God's about to put you in as a neighbor. Where you have something that to you might seem so small, so insignificant. God's probably not going to do much with this probably not even thinking about it twice. And it's recognizing that God oftentimes will do big, mighty, amazing work with just the little things that we give. Just the empty jars that we could give like that. Uh, we, we have um, great examples of this here at Crosspoint all the time where we have our uh, Socktober event. We call it Socktober where in October we have this driver. We just collect socks. Uh, and we go down with some students to Ocean Beach. And if you've been down there, there's this wall along the beach, and there's a, a, a mass homeless population down there. And I'll tell you that every time we go down there with just these socks that seem so insignificant, giving those out, and they're like, are you serious? Or they always ask, how much? 
We're like, no, it's, it's just yours. Just take it. And they're so blown away that we would give them socks, right? And again, to us, that's one of those things that seems so small, like, come on, it's just socks. But what we've noticed over the years is that the homeless population is actually, that's one of the top things that they ask for, besides other things, right? Surely sustenance and all that, but socks is among one of the top requests that they have. Why? Because they want to protect their feet from infection, from getting, staying wet, like all these things. Socks are so helpful for them. But it's one of those things that we barely think about. Um, and I want you guys to realize that this miracle story that the widow's about to experience has just as much to do with the willingness of those who gave their jars than it does with what, would about, what was about to happen or even Elijah's revelation about it. It has just as much to do with them actually give, opening their doors and giving the jars to this woman. Imagine what would happen if they said, no, oh, I don't have any. Or no, sorry, I got more important things going on, Right? This is the whole idea is that oftentimes God will pull us into the work that he's doing and say, I want to use you right there. I want you to use that, right? And so maybe for us today, it's not an empty jar. For example, right, it could be an empty table that we have in our home. It's opening up your home or opening up your kitchen, right? We have things happen all the time where new families have new babies, right? And they're asking for meals because it, they, they can't cook for a few weeks, right? It's, it's using your empty kitchen and providing a meal for people. It's inviting people into your home, being hospitable enough to recognize that some people aren't as fortunate to have a table to sit around with people at, to have that kind of community. And for you to be able to open up your home and do something like that, recognizing that God can use that, Yeah. Or it's, it's, maybe it's an empty time slot that you have. It's an empty time slot in your week to maybe just come alongside of somebody that really needs some help and support. Maybe it's the empty time slot that gets you plugged in here and actually jumped in on a team, serving with our kids, serving out front, right? Doing really small things like writing a name tag that can seem like such a small thing or handing out programs to somebody before they come into the door. Guess what? You're getting the opportunity to share Jesus with people before they even sit down in these chairs. How cool is that? So it's using that empty space in your life to say, I know that God can do something there. I'm going to let him. And again, it might seem so small, but don't diminish that. Don't mitigate that. God oftentimes does big work with the little things that we have, you guys. We have to keep that in mind. For parents of our students, you've seen this, right? Sometimes it's the empty passenger seats that you have in your car where it's just driving students up to a camp because you know what God's going to do once they get up there. So yeah, it's just an empty seat, but I know if I get them there that God's going to do big work in their lives. It's not forgetting this, and there's a variety of ways that God wants to use us. Are you, keep, are you keeping your eyes out for that? What's that empty area in your life that maybe God wants to use? What's that small thing for you that you really don't think about much that maybe you can intentionally start to use to say, God, what do you want to do here? I would encourage you to do that today, church. And then as Crystal mentioned, we have our small group season starting up here soon. 13 days, I think, is when sign-ups start, right? It's coming up close. If you haven't been in a part of a small group before, I want to tell you it's not just about having a community of people around you. It's not just about going and doing a Bible study. This is one of those ways that God can start to use you in other people's lives. This is where you actually get to be around people that are hurting, that are struggling. And for you to have an opportunity to say, wow, I think I can do something about that. I think God can do something there. I want to urge you to get involved. Involved in a group if you haven't. Sign up. And maybe that's the first step for you to actually be used by God. I, I've said this before that if you want to see what God's doing, 
If you want to see what he's doing in Crosspoint, if you want to see what he's doing in Temecula, if you want to see what he's doing globally, then be a part of it. Don't just sit back. Jump in. Be a part of it. Use the empty jars that you have to see how God can provide. And so for us, church, it's just, it's just do something. <laughs> just do something. Like you, got, you start somewhere. It might just be this little thing. But just do something. And trust and pray that God wants to use that. Because he totally can. I promise you that he can. So I love that role that the neighbors play. That's so important. Again, this miracle has just as much to do with their willingness to give those empty jars. And then finally, I want to look at the last person in the story. That's the widow. And watch the role that the widow plays in her own miracle. How cool is that? The role that the widow plays in her own miracle about to happen. And so remember, she's, she's hopeless. She has no way forward. And I mentioned earlier that there's a reason that the story got planted in right here. Right in the middle of everything else that's going on is to remind us of how deeply God cares for his people. And I don't just mean like a group of people, right? Like a church or like the valley. I mean how he deeply cares about your individual life. Every detail of your life, this story highlights that for us. Because you might be sitting here today feeling like this nameless widow, struggling, hurting, experienced loss, in the middle of financial hardship, asking those same questions that were probably floating around in her head. Does God care? I was talking to some of our students about this recently. They shared with me, they said, Justin, I oftentimes will pray for other people, but I don't really pray for myself because I feel like God doesn't care. And that we miss that for some reason. Why do we miss the fact that our God cares so deeply about our lives? Where we feel like he's not with us in the middle of the pain, in the middle of those circumstances, right? And so oftentimes when we're in the middle of those circumstances, we either find ourselves like the widow, hopeless, freaking out, there's nothing that can be done here, or we oftentimes just settle for the circumstances because we just don't think anything can actually be done about it. So notice that the widow's response here could have been completely different. Again, this is a normal thing that's happening. This is not some, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This is a very common thing that would have happened. The widow's response here could have easily been like, well, it is what it is, right? You ever use that phrase before? It is what it is in the middle of your circumstances. And she could have easily settled for it and said, well, sons, I guess you're going to have to go pay off your father's debt. But I find it so interesting that she didn't do that. She actually went out of her way to go lay the problem out and say, Maybe subconsciously, because she didn't actually state it, but it's, it's Elijah's question to her, what can we do? Can we do something about this? Maybe something can be done. Maybe God wants to provide more for you here. Maybe you don't have to settle for what's happening. Maybe God has a bigger plan, but you just need to invite him in to actually do it. And maybe sometimes that's God's call to us is, we're not inviting him in and we're just settling for it. Instead of asking him if there's something that he wants to do, what if we reckon, what would happen if we recognize that God cares just as much about the mundane, normal parts of our lives as he does about our suffering, our hardships, our hurt? What if we recognize that he cared just as much about the little areas 
and actually started to invite him into those. And sometimes we miss that. Like he cares about the financial hardships, but he also cares about the job interview that you just had. Like inviting him in there instead of these little normal parts of our lives saying, God, can you do something else here? Can you do something bigger here? What, what ways do you want to provide here? Would that change the way we pray? Would that change the way that we ask him to move? I feel like we miss out on the mighty power of God sometimes because we don't take the time to call on his name. And it's what Ephesians chapter 3 says. I want to read that to you. Paul says this so well for us. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Paul says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. Man, maybe today is the day that you need to actually put a verse like that into practice and say, God, I've been missing out on some of the things that you have in store because I don't really trust that you can do something there. Maybe it's actually putting that into practice and saying, I'm going to call on your name and I'm going to invite you into that. I want to see what you want to do, Lord. So cross point for you guys today, what is that area of your life? What's that area that maybe you've just settled for? Strained relationships with your family, with a friend? Like, oh, this is just the way that it's going to be. It is what it is. What's that it is what it is for you this morning? Or the flip side of that, what's that situation that is just so overwhelming where you just feel stuck like there is nothing that can be done? You'd call on the mighty name of Jesus and say, God, I trust you and I know that you can do something. I encourage you with that today to think about that church. And then I love, I love this. With every character here in the story, and the widow herself included, God is just pulling them into the work that he's doing. Just instead of letting them just kind of sit back and watch this miracle unfold, he's like, get in here and be a part of it, right? It's so cool. And so this will be the last point on your note sheet. You can write this down. It's that God exercises our faith to spark obedience. God exercises our faith to spark obedience. Notice how this wasn't just given to her. You ever have that expectation sometimes when you pray to God for a move to do something? You're like, God, would you just give that to me? And sometimes he's actually asking you to be a part of that miracle and saying, there's going to be some things that I'm going to ask you to do if you want that to happen. Ever found yourself there, right? God, why aren't you providing? And then you kind of miss the ways that he's been trying to provide the whole time as you've been asking, where he's kind of asking you to take a step, maybe one little step or do this thing here, uh, and then you just miss it. Because our expectations sometimes are a little bit skewed about how God will provide. Because notice here, guys, with the, with the widow, she had to go find the jars. She had to pour the oil into the, or into the jars. And then, after the fact, notice her debt doesn't just magically disappear, right? It's not like she gets this oil and the story ends. Elijah says... I'm going to reread it for you guys. It's 2 Kings chapter 4, verse uh, 7. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts. So she had to go take all of those jars of olive oil. And mind you, we don't know how many jars those were. She had to do the work, the hard work of taking those jars, selling them so that she could pay the debt to the creditors. So she's an active participant in what God's trying to do. Yeah. God wants to provide for you, church. 
But sometimes what that means is he's going to ask you to work hard and get your hands dirty sometimes. Are you willing to do that? Or is your expectation that he'd just be a genie and you'd sit back and he'd just grant your wish? I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That's not how God works. That's not the God that we serve. And that's not just because he wants to, like, withhold from you or he's some bully, like, wanting to watch you, like, squirm and do stuff. No, it's, it's he actually wants to do something more than just provide for you. He wants to grow you and, and help you mature and refine you and actually get you excited about what he's doing so that your faith would grow, so that the next time you find yourself in a circumstance, in a situation, you're not hopeless and freaking out. That way you've seen the power of God, you've actually been a part of it and watched him move in your life and say, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to trust him. Like this is how he provides. It's, it's the oil and so much more. And that's what it is for the widow. It's, it's the oil, but it's so much more. It's, it's her faith. It's growing her. God will ask us to work hard and get our hands dirty sometimes. And God's provision is far more than just fulfilling your and I, my immediate needs. He wants to provide and more. This nameless widow, we see here, matters to God. So much to him. Church, do you recognize how much you matter to him? Like, doesn't that, doesn't this story just highlight that for you? My hope is that you would just know how deeply God cares about you, that it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter if you think your, your suffering is, is less than those people around you. Like, yeah, I know God cares about that, but he probably doesn't care about this. No, he cares about every detail of your life. You need to trust that this morning, church. It doesn't matter how insignificant it seems, what you're going through. Recognizing that God cares about all of that. And that's one of my favorite parts about this story. It's because sometimes I feel like we think that God's got far more important things to take care of than me. Like, like my student shared with me recently. It's, no, it's just nonsense. That's not biblical. It's just not true. We don't ever get a picture of that here in this book. That's not the case. Over and over and over again, we get stories just like this that get thrown into a mix of something crazy that's happening. And God says, remember that I care about that. Remember that I care about the widows. Remember that I care about the orphans. Remember I care about the poor. Remember I care about you. We have to remember that. My hope is that this story would help you recognize that today, church. And then there's one more awesome thing here. So we've watched how God uses all kinds of people to kind of be a part of the work that he's doing. How cool is that? But then there's one more awesome thing that happens. And I love that Steve kind of pointed this out as we were brainstorming this. Uh, I, I really, really love this idea. Um, notice that the jars had to be empty before they could be filled with the oil. Just notice that for a second. And then if you've, you're familiar with, with your Bible a little bit, you've probably seen how throughout this idea of oil is oftentimes a metaphor used to kind of represent the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've caught that before, but it's kind of throughout, right? As people are anointed with oil, it's kind of a representation of the Holy Spirit would empower them, that it would come over them, right? And so it's this, it's this emptiness of the jars that allows the Holy Spirit to come and fill that jar, right? And so what that means for you and I today, church, is that oftentimes... In order for God to move and do the things that he wants to do and the ways that he wants to provide, sometimes he will call you to empty yourself of some things before that can happen. 
And I think we've all been there in some sense, right? Where it's, it's maybe it's I need to empty myself of the expectations that I have about God. The expectations I have about how he should do this, how he should fix this situation, it's putting those things aside. Maybe it's emptying yourself of confidence in your abilities, like, no, I got this thing. I can do this. Don't worry, God. I'll take care of it, right? Maybe it's just it's emptying yourself of whatever that thing is and saying, God, I've got nothing. I've been trying to figure this thing out on my own, but, but, but I need you. It's that simple, that simple recognition of saying, God, I have nothing and I need you. And oftentimes that's the invitation for him to come in and say, okay, let's work. Let's move. And it's experiencing that overflowing of the Holy Spirit that will come and, and experience the ways that he wants to provide in our lives, church. So our worship team is going to start making their way up here. Uh, and as they get up on stage, I ask that you just kind of stick with me for a minute as we wrap things up here. This story reminds us of how much God deeply cares about every detail of our lives, your circumstances, the big ones, the little ones, all of it, and how he wants to provide. But it's more than that too, church. Because, yeah, God wants to provide for your needs and the circumstances, but you know what else he did? Is that he went to provide the ultimate thing, which was the salvation that's offered through what Jesus did on that cross. And if you've never heard that story before, we talk about this idea. It's the gospel. It's this good news. It's, it's why we're here every weekend, right? So if you're, you're new to this whole church thing, this whole Jesus thing, it's that we come here and we remember that 2,000 years ago, that the God who created the universe, who might seem like he has more important things to take care of sometimes than your life, stepped off of his throne and came down to this world and sacrificed his life for you. Not just for them back then, but what the Bible tells us is that he died for us while we were still sinning. And not just died for your good works or for people that were pretty good. No, died for those that were still sinning. Everybody that was broken. And that means you. That means me. That means your sin from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That through the death of Jesus, through the death of Jesus on the cross, he paid your debt in full. So you don't have to pay back that debt because Jesus already did that for you. So he did that for you, church. So maybe you're sitting here today and Maybe you're in a position where you just feel like you need to empty yourself or whatever that thing is. Maybe you're in the middle of those overwhelming circumstances and just saying, God, empty me of, of the doubts, empty me of my expectations, whatever that is to experience what you have in store that I'd invite you in to do that. I would encourage you to do that this morning, church, to invite him in. And then maybe for some of you, it's being empty to receive something that you've never experienced before and received. And that's the forgiveness and grace and goodness of God because of that sacrifice that we just talked about that Jesus made for you. If you're not sure about that, if you have questions about that, you're like, I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing, we'd love to talk to you about that. We have our prayer team that's going to be in the back of the house this entire worship session. Go back and talk to them. They would be more than happy to walk you through what that looks like. So if someone dragged you here today and said you're going to hear about Jesus, we want to help you with that. We want to help you make that decision. If you're not comfortable with going back and talking to them, put that down on that connection card that Crystal talked to you about. Say, hey, I have some questions about this. One of our team members are going to follow up with you in a few days to talk to you about that. So please, I encourage you. We would love to walk you through that. Drop that connection card in the buckets as they come through a little bit later. And if you have made that decision today, 
If you've accepted that sacrifice that Jesus has made for you, we invite you to join us at the four corners of the room for communion where we take time to remember that sacrifice, where we take that piece of bread and that juice to remember what he did for us, that that would be our focus of saying, Jesus, thank you for the way that you provided for me. And so we're going to sing some songs to Jesus and about Jesus right now and encourage you to take whatever posture you need to take. Go to our prayer team. Take that communion. Do whatever it is that you need to do with God right now. So Jesus, we just love you and we praise you. Thank you so much for, Lord, the fact that you care about our lives. How cool is that, Lord, that you care about me, that you care about these people here. In the middle of this giant world that you take the time to slow down for us, meet us exactly where we're at this morning, Jesus. Help us to invite you in. Lord, we thank you for the way that you ultimately provided for us. So we praise your name for that this morning. Jesus, you're so good. We love you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.